we begin a series on the book of Job. It's a very long book, but we won't deal with every chapter. I just want to try to get the essence of what this book is trying to get across. We will begin and we will end in the New Testament with the book of James. And I don't go here to prejudice our interpretation of Job by taking its meaning from outside the book. I go here first to show you that Job really mattered to the New Testament writers. He's quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans eleven thirty-five, And here James makes a great deal out of Job. And I want you to see how important he is and the questions he poses. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So we are directed to Old Testament spokesmen for God as our examples of how we should suffer. Behold, we consider those blessed, blessed, who remained steadfast, literally endured, remained steadfast. And then he gives the example. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Yes, you have. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, here are the questions. Job remains steadfast. Steadfast in what? We could say love, faith, obedience. Let's be specific. Let's go to Job and see, was he steadfast in what? Faith, love, obedience? What's the focus in this steadfastness? And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. What purpose? It's unspecified here. This doesn't state the purpose of the Lord directly, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In fact, it raises the question, how? In the face of loss. He lost all of his children, ten of them, and pain, horrible, horrible boils. And in all of that, the Lord is merciful and compassionate So, James draws the lesson of steadfastness and that God has a purpose in Job's suffering and that in that purpose he's compassionate and merciful. That's what we need to investigate. How are these things so? Let's go to Job 1 and pray as we go. Father, this is a glorious and provocative and disturbing and comforting glimpse, this book of Job, of your power and your purpose. And James says, your mercy and your compassion. So open our eyes to see in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, 
and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, those four things are not just relatively good in Job's life. They are the best of all the men on the earth. We're going to see that in just a minute. Which means, by the way, that the author sets this up so that there is no reason in Job's failures to punish him. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God. He turns away from evil. His account before God is clear. That's what blameless means. There are no outstanding faults that haven't been dealt with and forgiven. This man is not going to be hurt because he's a bad man or that he has failed. Job 1, 6-8. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. That term sons of God occurs one other time in the book of Job. We get a glimpse of who they are in Job 38. God is rebuking Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So when God was laying the foundation of the earth, the angels, the sons of God, were there shouting for joy. So these sons of God are angelic, supernatural beings, not human beings, but angels. But among them came Satan. Let me just point you to one verse that's probably two verses that are probably the most detailed description of Satan. This is from Revelation 12. The great dragon, that's the way he's been pictured right here in this 12th chapter of Revelation, was thrown down. That ancient serpent, remembering his form in the Garden of Eden when he tempted Adam and Eve, who is called the devil, that is, the prince of all the demons, and Satan, which means accuser, as we'll see in just a second, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser. That's what Satan means. The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night. That's what's going on here. Satan came among the sons of God, and that's the first thing he did when God addresses him. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered 
my servant Job. So God is the one who is setting in motion this conflict. Let that sink in. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan didn't bring up Job. God brought up Job. That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless man, upright man, fears God, turns away from evil. In other words, the same four that we saw here in verse 1, only now there's none like him. He is superior to all other people in that he's blameless, upright, fears God, turns away from evil. He does not deserve to be abused by Satan. Satan has no right to go after Job. Then Satan answered, verse 9, and said, answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for no reason? What's he saying? He fears and loves you because of your gifts. And that's all. He doesn't really love you. He loves your gifts. You'll see this. Have you not put a hedge around him? So God is protecting him and his house and all that he has. Oh, his precious possessions on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Now you just stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. It's the, it's the stuff, God. It's the possessions. You touch what he has, he will curse you to your face. He fears and loves you because of his stuff. That's the accusation. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him don't stretch out your hand. So we'll test your accusation. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Hear the lesson so far, and then we'll stop and pick it up next time. Number one, God is sovereign over Satan. Why do I say that? Because he gave Satan permission. Satan cannot touch him until God says, you may now touch him. And he limits how much he can touch him. And therefore, we see God's power over Satan. He could have Satan, get out of, get out of heaven right now. And don't you dare touch Job. And he wouldn't have touched him. God is sovereign over Satan. Number two, this book is about the value of God. About the preciousness of God. Does Job fear God for no reason? Do you think he fears you because he admires you, loves you, treasures you, cherishes you, trusts you, 
God, you're naive. You've put this hedge around him. You've guarded his house. Everything he has is from you. Just touch him. Stretch out your hand and touch him and touch all that he has. And he will curse you. This is a book about whether or not Job loves, trusts, treasures, fears God for his gifts or for himself. Third lesson. Our suffering may not be owing to our failures. But to confirm our, we can use several words here, faith, love, fear of God. So on the on the God side, the book is about, is God valuable in himself? And on the man's side is, is Job, who has no failures to elicit anything that's happening here, but is confirming in the test whether he loves God as God, trusts God as God, to give him the best thing, God. That's what's being set up by God here in heaven.